This is Witchcraft Off the Beaten Path. I'm Molly Dyer. The original date of this podcast is June 9th, 2020. If you're listening, I hope you're safe, healthy, keeping entertained and staving off the cabin fever while staying at home during this quarantine. And if you have to leave the house, I hope it's for a protest or a march. And I hope you're doing your best to try and maintain social distance while wearing a mask and screaming Black Lives Matter until your voice is all but gone. This is likely to be a shorter podcast than my normal podcast length. Not because I don't have anything to say, but more because I just don't know that I have all the words. So I'll say first that I apologize for last week's lack of a podcast. I had a minor procedure on a shoulder last week, and I just could not manage to be non-medicated enough to get my shit together to produce a podcast. I don't even know where to start today, though. That's literally all I've got right now. Because the rest of the world is falling apart around me. Around all of us. But not all of us are willing to acknowledge just how bad it is. So I guess I'll just rip off the band-aid and start talking. This might be a very stream-of-consciousness podcast. I might not have a clear finish line for this podcast today. The point might be muddled, and my desire to not sound like I'm preaching, because I think maybe I'm some sort of expert, might get snared and tangled up in my desire to burn down everything around me to shove every Karen I see, and to flip off and scream shame at every white cop that crosses my path. That's not the answer either. I honestly don't think I even know which end is up anymore. What I do know is that it has to come to an end. Not the protesting. Not the marching. Not the revolution. What has to come to an end is the systemic abuse, the racism, the idea that black people are less valuable than me, or you, or any person that is white. That's what has to end. But that is by no means my original idea. That's what the whole world has been talking about since May 25th, at around 8.20am, when George Floyd was murdered in the street in Minneapolis, Minnesota, with now-disgraced former police officer Derek Chauvin's knee pressed into his neck for 8 minutes and 46 seconds. All while three other former, now-disgraced, arrested officers applied their body weight in pressure to George Floyd's torso and legs. The fourth one just stood by and watched and did nothing to help George Floyd was complicit in his murder. I'm not going to talk about all those people who, despite everything they've been told, still try and counter with all lives matter. And what about white lives? I'm not going to talk about it. I could for a very long time, but I'm not going to. It doesn't matter. And I have a feeling the people listening to this podcast aren't the ones that need to hear it. If you are, hit that message button and leave me a message. I might leave one for you as well. I'm not going to talk about those people who, despite 
everything that's been explained to them, still scream that blue lives matter. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to talk about those people who, despite everything they've been shown, still try and tell us, I don't mind if they protest peacefully, but breaking things and setting things on fire aren't the way to get your point across. And I'll come back around to this towards the end of the podcast. But right now, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to talk about those people who, despite everything they've already been told and shown, still shout at the top of their goddamn lungs about black-on-black crime. I'm not going to talk about those people who, despite the ridiculousness of it, still insist that they don't see color. I'm not going to talk about those people who, regardless of everything else they've managed to learn in their lives, still insist that they're from another time, or grew up that way, or are just too set in their ways. And the same to those people who enable that sort of racism by making excuses for the racist assholes in their lives. But I'm not going to talk about any of that. Here's what I think I am going to talk about. Personal responsibility. Specifically, my responsibility as a witch and as a human. And also racist microaggression, which is a nefarious, horrible little thorn in the bottom of your foot. Witch Cake at Holly Castle on Twitter said, If you call yourself a witch, you are taking on the mantle of hundreds of years of oppression and ostracism. It is your duty to stand beside those who suffer injustice. If you do not, your spirituality is aesthetic only. What does that mean for me? Or for you? For me, it means that standing by and watching from the sidelines as racial oppression continues makes us, and by us, I mean me, and you, us, it makes us no better than someone watching impotently as a hangman tightens the noose around the witch's neck before pushing her off the platform to her death. I don't mean it makes us someone who looks on with glee at the sight of someone being hanged. It just makes us someone that looks on, maybe wishing there was something we'd done before it got to this point. It means we have to do more than post memes on Facebook. It means we have to do more than wave signs and march and shout, Black Lives Matter! Not that that act in and of itself isn't valuable or even noble. It is, greatly. But if you do those things and don't change your own behavior... You're just putting out a fire with gasoline. And by you, I mean you. And I mean me. I've always considered myself a non-racist. Anti-racist. And when I say always, I mean for longer than I can even remember. But that's just a salve I've created for my own quietly infected, oozing white fragility guilt wounds. I'm kidding myself. I grew up in Texas and was taught that black people were second-class citizens at best. I was taught this by everybody. Teachers, family, friends, parents of friends, the people at the grocery store and the shoe store, the people at the amusement park, the people at church. Everybody. Regardless of whether or not they meant to do so, They taught us all of that. And growing up in Texas isn't an excuse. 
It's more of, I guess, an explanation, though it seems lame. There were things I gleaned about that racism the older I got, and things that I rejected, epithets and slurs. I thought I had all the stereotypes down and tried to avoid those. As it turned out, I was patently incorrect. I made myself feel better about my seething white guilt by convincing myself that I was an ally. I was an anti-racist. Because I refused to say the N-word. I know now that I couldn't have been more wrong. I've always been subtly racist. It wasn't conscious. And it wasn't with malice. But it was there. And now, here I am. We're on the precipice of something huge. This is a revolution, folks. But how do you fight the revolution when you've become so conditioned to accept and ignore the more subtle, less overt acts of racism that we're surrounded by and that we ourselves perpetuate every day? How do you talk to your grandparents about their language surrounding people of color? How do you talk to your neighbor about his insensitive language about the Latinx crew of people he's hired to do his landscaping or his yard? So, to quote the late, great Maya Angelou, Do the best you can until you know better. Then, when you know better, do better. I'm doing my best to know better so I can do better. From a study on racist microaggression at Teachers College, Columbia University, microaggressions are everyday verbal, nonverbal, and environmental slights, snubs, or insults, whether intentional or unintentional, which communicate hostile, derogatory, or negative messages to target persons based solely upon their marginalized group membership. The first time I heard that, it was like taking a bullet. I realized this was a whole different set of racist behaviors I possessed that I needed to unlearn. If you don't need to unlearn any of your own microaggressions or subtle racism, you could stop listening now. If not, maybe stick around for a couple more minutes. The three forms of microaggressions that can be identified are microassault, microinsult, and microinvalidation. They are most likely to be conscious and deliberate, although they're generally expressed in limited private situations, that's the micro part, that allow the perpetrator some degree of anonymity. An example of microaggression is the ascription of intelligence, which is assigning intelligence to a person of color on the basis of race. That's an example of a microinsult, saying things like, you are a credit to your race. What you're actually saying is people of color are generally not as intelligent as whites. Another example of ascription of intelligence would be to say, you are so articulate. What you're really saying is, it is unusual for someone of your race to be so intelligent. I can relate to this myself by offering someone a piece of cake, and they hesitantly, with trepidation, take a bite and then exclaim, Oh, it's good! Because they were expecting it to be terrible. You might also know this example of ascription to be sometimes referred to as a backhanded compliment. But it's much, much worse than 
I was expecting your cake to be shit, and it's not. It's more along the lines of, I expected you to be stupid because you're black, and you're sort of maybe not stupid. An example of micro-invalidation that maybe we've heard more in the last several years would be colorblindness statements that indicate that a white person does not want to acknowledge race. Statements like, when I look at you, I don't see a color, or America is a melting pot, and even there's only one race, the human race. Statements like that are denying a person of color's racial or ethnic experiences. It's denying the individual as a racial or cultural being. Criminality or assumption of criminal status is another big one. A white man or woman clutching her purse or checking his wallet or locking their car door as a black person or Latinx approaches or passes. A store owner following a customer of color around the store. Something we might call racial profiling and is actually a micro-assault. A white person who waits to ride the next elevator because a person of color is on it is labeling that person of color as untrustworthy or criminal based solely on their skin color. It's telling that person of color, you are going to steal, you are poor, you do not belong, or you are dangerous. And finally, the denial of individual racism. That's a statement made when whites deny their racial biases by statements such as, I'm not a racist, I have several black friends. Or, as a woman, I know what you go through as a racial minority. And I will admit that I have had that thought before. I don't believe I've ever actually said it out loud, but the fact is that it has crossed my mind equating my journey as a woman with the struggles of being a black person in the U.S. Now it makes me feel sick. That thought or statement means... I am immune to racism because I have friends of color. Your racial oppression is no different than my gender oppression. I can't be a racist. I'm like you. I'm nothing like any person of color. Whether I want to admit it or not, I was born into privilege. White privilege. Doesn't matter if I was born into a wealthy family, which I wasn't, or a poor family, which I was. Any struggle in my lifetime cannot be attributed to my skin color. It doesn't mean I've never known struggle. It just means my skin color had nothing to do with that struggle. Teaching myself about microaggression has opened my eyes to things I honestly didn't even realize ever existed, nor did I recognize them as aggression, but I do now, and now there's no way I can ever allow myself to forget that. Witches were, for centuries, ostracized and oppressed and persecuted, and indeed, many of them were executed, some by the hand of the state, and some in private, quietly, at the hands of someone who just didn't think they had the right to live due to their differences. They died by fire, by noose, by pressing, by quartering, by drowning, by torture, because of hate, and because of fear of that which is different, and not like the others. As a woman that identifies as a witch, it is my duty, my obligation, my honor to stand up for and stand beside those who suffer injustice. My witchcraft is not merely aesthetic. I not only talk the talk, I walk the walk. So it is not enough for me to talk the talk as an anti-racist. I must also walk the walk. 
But this is also because I am a human and I live in the world, regardless of whether or not I'm a witch. I will never know what it's like to be a black person in the United States of America. I can only imagine, and I can't even imagine. What I can do is stand up. What I can do is speak up. What I can do is try to do better now that I know better. I understand that I will never understand, but I will always stand with you if you are oppressed. If you're protesting or marching, be safe. Write your name and emergency information on your inner arm with a Sharpie. Carry your ID on your person and just enough cash and change to get yourself something to eat or to drink if the need arises and the opportunity presents itself. Wear nondescript, single-colored clothing. Layered, if you're marching where it's not too terribly hot. Cover any tattoos that might identify you. Wear or bring heat-resistant gloves that can be stowed in your waistband or pockets while not in use. If you have long hair, tie your hair back and up and bring extra hair ties. Wear goggles or a face shield and a mask. Social distancing is a lot harder when protesting, but you can at least wear a mask for that layer of protection. Bring water to stay hydrated. Take water whenever it's offered by a trusted source. And bring a washcloth that you can use to clean your face if you are spat upon or are sprayed with something. While there will likely be medics available somewhere, it's not a bad idea to bring some band-aids and maybe some Bactine spray or wipes. All of these things can be packed into a backpack or knapsack or even a fanny pack. Make sure your phone is on airplane mode and that you've disabled the facial recognition and touch ID. That's super important. Take videos. You can upload them later, unless you just have to go live on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram from your protest. Make sure your loved ones know where you're going to be, who you're going to be with, and check in with them quickly from time to time whenever you're able. I said I was going to come back around to what I was saying about those people who, despite everything they've been shown, still try and tell us, I don't mind if they protest peacefully, but breaking things and setting things on fire aren't the way to get your point across. I said I wasn't going to talk about it, but maybe I lied, because I'm going to fucking talk about it. That's privilege. And racism. Does someone breaking out a police car window make you uncomfortable? Is it hard to watch someone throw a plastic water bottle at a wall of heavily armed police decked out from head to toe in their riot gear? Does that make you uncomfortable? Maybe then you need to step out of your goddamn comfort zone and think differently about a few things. About a week ago, an Instagrammer I follow, Sonia Renee Taylor, had this to say. In order to challenge a system that views your body as less important than its property, the only way to do that is to actually disrupt its property. The question of whether or not it matters if we break business windows or if we burn down AutoZone or Target is only a question that gets asked in the assumption that those buildings are more important than the people who are setting them afire. Because the people that are setting them afire are doing that because they're being murdered. If someone is killing you, there is no inappropriate way to get them to stop. Again, that's Sonia Renee Taylor. I'll link to that video 
on Instagram and her profile in the description for this podcast. I recommend following her on Instagram and listening to what she has to say. It's the words of someone who lives with this racism every single day of her life here in America. I produce a brand new podcast every Wednesday, usually. And as always, if you have questions or comments about this or any other episode of this podcast, or if there's a topic you'd like to hear about on a future episode, just click the message button on the Anchor app or on the Anchor webpage from your web browser. You might hear yourself on an upcoming podcast. I hope you never hunger, and I hope you never thirst. I'm Molly Dyer. This is Witchcraft Off the Beaten Path.